Hey y'all, it's Delaney. And it's Katie, and this is Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. With trap beats playing in the, I got the magic stick. I know if I can hear once, I can twice. I hit the baddest tricks. What? Don't believe me. Me <laughs> tonight, I'll show you magic. What? What? Magic. I got of the all magic the stick. I shouldn't even have clicked over to you because I couldn't even get through it. <laughs> wow. I don't know why that song came into my head randomly. Like, when did that song come out? I'm going to look it up. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't. So long ago. I was like in, I was seven probably because I remember it being on the radio. I'm look it up. And it just, I was just driving and I was like, I got the magic stick. And I was like, what the heck? But I was like. I, I I was like I don't know where that came from. Two thousand and three. How old was it? Two thousand and three. I was born in ninety three. I was ten. I was five. Oh my god! Why do I know that song? That's the real question. <laughs> and it's like it's crazy because I was thinking about like everybody's you know the girls love talking about WAP this WAP that whatever, and I was like, I will say that I think hip hop has changed a little bit. I, mean, I, have to, I have to go back and look, but I feel like mainstream hip hop has changed a little bit in that like. It was way more like, like symbolic back then, and now it's just like I'm gonna put my in your then you know, and now it's but back then it was like I got the mag. We were singing that on the bus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. It was I more like symbolic. No, 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 no. It was like, like more like like metaphor. More, yeah, that was what I was looking for. It was like more metaphor. Yeah. You know, like I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you look the lollipop. You know what he what he's talking about. Yeah. And it's like we literally were singing. But now it's like, I'ma let you lick my <laughs> Right. Like now it's like, I'ma take your and I'm putting your and you know. <laughs> so I will say that someone can correct me if I'm wrong, because I was also that's not what my mama was playing. But I don't even know so I don't even know how I found out about that song. Cause we did not listen to the radio like that. Probably on the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That song was a banger. And we over here like, yeah, magic is so cool. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, randomly. Like, I was like, where did that? That was a weird memory just came in. I'm like, yep, this, that's my thing. That's why I asked you 50 Cent was problematic. I know he's problematic. Mm-hmm. But, like, just, like, he just takes stuff too far. But I was like, I didn't know if he did nothing. I think, yeah, I think it's more mainstream. Because there were certainly rappers, like, yeah. Back then, like even even before even before the early two thousands, mm-hmm. um, like I'm I'm not gonna say <laughs> the lyrics, but like that was the whole the whole court case with two live crew, like how we got the got the parental advisory stickers, like it was because like pe- people were getting like record store owners were getting arrested for selling their records. And oh, like, for real? Yeah, it was it was crazy because they had really explicit explicit music and the white kids started listening to it and so then that's what it is th- about that's it. why it went all the way up <laughs> to the high courts right but. can you imagine cardi being court for a wop uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i could but i was like i, I like uh because i i remembered how i went but i wanted to make sure i said the right lyrics it didn't matter because i laughed all the way through it um i shouldn't have clicked over to your face but um i want to make sure i got the right words i'm like this song is very nasty this song is very nasty but i feel like today it would have been like you know i got the magic and i could make it hit 
<laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, no. Because, come on, Katie. <laughs> you the main one. Classic Black PG. And then. I think we're PG 13. No, I feel like we're overall PG. I don't think you can say that in something that's PG. Overall. I don't think so. I feel like stuff that's PG is like, there might be some violence. There might be like a mild, some mild cursing. But that's like. I feel like, okay, but how many of our episodes have been like? I feel like the majority of our episodes are PG. No? Oh, yeah, majority, but that wasn't. That, yeah, that wasn't. Because that was like, <laughs> we, we didn't have to go back over that. <laughs> that would be flagged. Just left it this one would be flagged for sure. Um, Yeah. Anyway, that was fun. Throwbacks with Katie, or it, it depends. Whatever, whatever the Lord puts on my spirit. I'm sure God would disagree the Lord with that. Put he, that? <laughs> I think He would disagree with that. But you know, it was fun. Thinking back to your five year old days. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing that. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um. Okay. So news this week. Um, I just wanted to, we're going to go back, um, and talk a little bit about one of the subjects that we did last week, um, which requires me to put another trigger warning here. We're going to talk briefly about sexual assault. So, um, yeah, we'll put a timestamp. It's going to be brief because I don't have much to say. Um, so basically we talked last week about how James Levine, um, died um and how he sexually abused uh minors um and of course you know because of that he was let go from the met but also given 3.5 million dollars so this was a couple years ago so um fast forward to today he is gone and there have been you know mixed discussions apparently so came to my attention that um amongst these uh, discussions was Charles Castleman who if that last name sounds familiar he is the founder and director of the Castleman Quartet program which is um a string quartet program that I I know a lot of people who have been there um and it's you know uh, I I can't speak to to prominence within the within my scope of being someone who plays an instrument that is not there I know about it so is he is that? married to Heidi Castleman? Am I confusing my people? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, he decided to post a series of Facebook posts. <laughs> of course it's on Facebook. A series. Why? Come a series on, Fred. of Facebook um, posts about, uh, about James Levine. Um, and essentially, it was a lot of... Um, being an apologist um to this person who abused uh sexually abused children um it was a lot of um well you know it it wasn't rape it was just sexual abuse and i was like so i was like now charles is this really the hill you want to die on it was just sexual abuse yikes what are you saying and 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 at one point he even referred to it as a regretful consensual encounters um totally ignoring the fact that there is no such thing as consent between a child and an adult um like when it comes to <laughs> sexual activity and so i was like he's telling on himself because right what you i was like I, I would recommend you stop talking actually i would recommend you keep talking your lawyer would recommend you stop talking 
because you're like the f- he was deep in the comments arguing people down about this situation um about how um you know technically this technically it wasn't rape it was just sexual abuse like, what was it doing? sexual abuse yes was he um girl it was bad it was bad um he has some of them still up um i think actually only one of them at this point um unluckily for him screenshots are forever which i have several of so <laughs> period um i posted them on twitter in a thread which i will link in the description of this episode um just so that y'all know who this man is um because you know it was a mixture of of defending or coming to his defense and also of talking about well can we just talk about his musical contributions can we just talk about X, what do y'all y, like to do like, like it's just not even that deep it's it's really not it's really not he says in in this one i just want to give a couple of examples i'm not going to read all of them because there's several um he says let's clear the air of inaccurate discussion of james levine's sexual activities in all caps he says he was a predator who violated no laws. If you consult his Wikipedia <laughs> obituary, the four people who came forth to accuse him were all of age. They weren't. Um, and um, in all caps, none accused him of rape. He was despicable um, and given entitlement by the Met, but broke no laws. And that's what. And then and then goes on to say that it was sexual abuse, but it wasn't rape, and he didn't break any laws. I'm like, how was the sexual abuse ended? Okay, okay. Um. Additionally, um, I just additionally he says, I was fortunate to never have such suffered such abuse, and also to have had no experience, good, bad, or indifferent, with gay sex. Although, what are we I mean, doing? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? said almost everyone contributing to these threads has and it is impossible for them to keep that separate from their reaction to james levine what are you saying it goes on and on and on so i'll just i'll just i'll link so y'all can hear and and this is actually nowhere near all of it i think he's deleted some of them but there were hundreds of of comments a lot of him um going back and forth um with people to, like trying to be like well technically technically this and yeah technically he did sexually abuse them but but this and whatever and i'm just like this is what what are we doing what are we doing so regardless um just so y'all know if y'all play any of those instruments um not to be in his midst um he actually it's just really disgusting because i feel like you know this first of all this program that he runs has been um operating since 1970 sure it has how many many people have gone through this have come in contact with this man Mm -hmm. have um he's taught so many students it's like these problematic just outlook like like some people just don't even like they see abuse happening and are just like well chalk it up to the game yeah anyway measure three was sharp so once you right exactly and he taught at Eastman. He left the, the year before we got there. Really? Mm-hmm. Teach um, what? Violin. Oh. Um. Yeah, so his portrait hanging in a uh, community. I'm sure, and now. I'm sure it will stay there. Just like with that, right next to that report that y'all worked on over the summer. <laughs> Not right next to it. 
So yeah, it was just it, it it was a very confusing but also telling series of of posts because it was like he was like yes he was he was terrible because he sexually abused it but also he was great because he conducted real good you know she's like <laughs> what um okay but anyway yeah so that happened i think he works at the university of miami uh now so hopefully that won't continue um it will but, i mean but yeah um isn't that broad at the at the bso she's still working right i'm sure i'm sure yeah but yeah people have been tacking the school but like i said hopefully that won't continue but um that means nothing yeah um, absolutely nothing so yeah we're just gonna move on so that'll be linked if y'all if y'all want to see it but um yeah so moving on more happy 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 news we will talk about the tulsa opera so um if you've been um you know around the classical music uh folks on social media you've probably heard about the situation at the tulsa opera with the composer daniel romaine um so the tulsa opera is putting on a uh, concert called uh what's it called greenwood overcomes which is to commemorate um the anniversary of the tulsa uh, massacre in which a bunch of um white people just murdered and and destroyed and burnt down businesses on black wall street in tulsa oklahoma in 1921 so they are having this concert whatever they they uh, reached out to black musicians black composers um the idea was to have um some some commissions done by black composers um for this concert well daniel remain who was actually a black excellence a couple months ago i believe um he composed a work called they still want to kill us the truth because they do and um he submitted it on time you know he wrote the piece and as well as the libretto it's a it's an aria um and they asked him to change um a line or a word rather in uh in the aria so the last two lines are god bless america and then gd america um the the it's kind of ironic that the the turn of events that comes um after this because i actually won't say that phrase but for different reasons than the singer won't say that phrase so basically they um they took issue with this um and they asked him to change it he said no thanks i'm good this is what i'm turning in um and they decommissioned him they said you know what services will no longer be needed um they paid him his full commissioning fee and dismissed him from this from from this um commission now of course there was a huge there was you know an outrage about this because y'all literally asked him to do it y'all literally asked him to do the libretto y'all did not give him any restrictions on what he could say also he's literally talking about a massacre against black people that has been that was so normalized at that Mm -hmm. time in america and y'all got got the nerve to be mad that he cursed america so yeah they got a lot of backlash from this and this is where the turn of events comes they uh release a statement about it in this statement they're very quick to release a quote from denise graves who is a black mezzo-soprano for which this uh, this aria was written um 
And it's very unclear whether or not this statement is a, a statement that she put out or something that she said, mm-hmm. which is an important distinction. It, it says, um, Miss Graves said, quote, as a black woman, I am a huge supporter of all black lives, black expression and creativity. I don't have trouble with strong lyrics, but I felt that they did not line up with my personal values. I could not find an honest place to express the lyrics as they were presented. Um, so she took issue with saying those two lines. Um, but from what I've read and I'll link a couple of things on this, but from what I'm, from what I have read, it seems that she had a trouble. She had, she had an issue with, um, cursing the country. That's not the reason why I won't say that. I, you know, I'm team fuck America all day, every day. So, but, um, for religious reasons, I just, I, I won't say that, but, um, I don't think that, that it would, that they handled this correctly because they were very quick to release this statement say oh uh, uh, it was miss denise it was it was her black on black crime like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and it was just like it became very murky and divided in that way whether it was just like black artists versus black artists well she didn't want to say it well first of all y'all let go the person who who went through with the job that they were hired to do that's first so that's not really adding up second of all if y'all really didn't want to if y'all really didn't want to let denise graves go y'all could have brought somebody else in to sing it. that was my confusion i don't understand why well first of all they use denise the scapegoat and then why don't you just if she, if that was really the issue you made yourself look dumb because you could just found somebody else to sing it you know how many black mezzo sopranos there are so that's that was where I that's where it wasn't curling over for me. Exactly. It's like y'all also had a problem with it because y'all were just like, hmm, wanna change this one word, then see ya. And it's like he fulfilled his contract. And like, um, and once I read that, I mean I honestly, you know, I'm not a singer. I feel like if I was in that position, I would probably just I would probably just suck it up and say it, but that's my own, you know, whatever. I also like our our reasons are not the same. Like mm-hmm. I'll be like, period. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there was also like I think Denise Graves has sang at like some patriotic events. Oh, she. Um. Never mind, never mind. So uh, maybe that's the reason why um, there's some hesitation to to curse this country. But it's like I just can't believe that they didn't see the irony. Um, and saying that this language, y'all think this language is too harsh that y'all can't even find. It's not even a loophole. It's literally just an alternative. Like mm-hmm. it's literally a, a singular email to another black mezzo soprano that are just yeah. like literally they're raining down from the heavens. Like <laughs> there's so many of them. There are so many of them. The fact that y'all didn't see the irony in that, like y'all are literally telling him that this language is too it's too abrasive it's too this is too that when you're literally talking about a massacre a mass murder like like what are we what are we saying yeah also i wish it was just a murder i cannot believe i learned about that so late as well yeah but um yeah so um i'll look a couple of um a couple of uh, articles about that as well as um an open letter that was put out by the black opera alliance about this that um you know 
really sums up some of the some of the issues with the situation um, from the perspective of leaders um, or black leaders in opera so I'll link their open letter as well um, and also link a um, a website that the composer Daniel Romain uh, put up called they still want to kill us.com you can learn more about the work I believe you can even purchase it there um, and just learn more about about him in general so all of those things will uh, be in the description and we're moving on all right y'all so we are back and we are here with dr armin hall come on doctor period who among hello. us hello welcome thank you thank you for welcome. Me. yeah welcome to everybody else who's here <laughs> we talk about armin in passing all the time so i'm sure they were like who is this person <laughs> yeah every now and then we gotta have armin on the show well yeah here we are um, you want to introduce yourself, introduce your, what am I saying, bro? You want to introduce yourself really quickly, and then we're going to do the intermission. Okay. All right. So, yeah, my name is Armin Hall. I'm the executive director of the Rock Music Collaborative in Rochester, New York. It's an El Sistema-inspired program, uh, partnered with the Eastman School of Music. Prior to that, I was, I'm a band director by trade and a clarinetist, a conductor, and so I was the associate director of bands at the University of Memphis, Go Tigers, and... Um, Prior to that, I taught public school outside of Detroit, Michigan, because that's where I'm from. And I got my degrees at the University of Michigan and Michigan State. Period. What you talking you, you Oh, man. man, I forgot to mention. What? Well, I'm now the board chair of the Bell System of USA. Woo! Yeah. What? Oh, wait, you, you were director of bands at University of Memphis? Associate director of bands. Director of bands at University of Memphis? <laughs> No, because you got too many Memphis people down there. They're going to be listening and be like, what? Ain't nobody no. from Memphis listens to this. Okay. Okay. Maybe when they see your face, they'll be like, maybe. All right. So we're going to play a little intermission. Don't worry. Don't be nervous. Just going to do a little bit of this or that. Um, just based on your, your background. It's a couple of questions. So don't worry. It's not extensive. Okay? Okay. All right. So you lived in several places, but I took overarching... Detroit, Memphis, Rochester. Yes. Okay. So Detroit pizza or New York pizza? <laughs> Detroit pizza. I know. I mean, walk me most through people this. don't even know what Detroit style pizza is. It looks like cafeteria food. Why mm -hmm. is shaped like that? And why the cheese mm -hmm. look like that? Well, and on top of that, do you know that there is tomato sauce on top of the cheese and on top of the pizza? And it's fried hard. You need to check out Buddy's Pizza in Detroit. Fried. Fried. It, it, it pan fried. It's pan-fried. It's what people call pan-fried, so it's not like thrown in a deep fryer or anything, but pan-fried pizza, pan essentially fried. what Pizza Hut used to be. Little Caesars is Detroit-style pizza, so every time you eat one, you're thinking of them. <laughs> How do you convince people with that? <laughs> it's good. It's, it's the greasy crust. It's greasy crust. It's really good pizza, lots of cheese, lots of sauce, with, uh, without a lot of toppings, not a lot of toppings. We're gonna, have, we're gonna have to see because you know every time I go to Detroit I'm with a vegan so uh, all right and we have a great time <laughs> but I, I gotta say it don't look too it don't look good <laughs> it looks like I literally get a bad memory of cafeteria pizza it's the same shape it looks the same the cheese has melted the same and I'm like why is that on a billboard it's better than that floppy New York style pizza where you like pick it up and it's like, uh, it's like <laughs> at that point I'd rather have Chicago and, I mean, and, 
But where is New York style pizza here in Rochester? Either? So I haven't found it yet. That is true. It really isn't any. I not anything that's sticking out. So maybe I need to go look for it. I feel yeah. I feel like is what's it called? Is it? It's not even close. What's that place called? That's on over there on East. That's not even close, is it? Yeah, Chamboli's. I've never had. Have I had pizza from Chamboli's? Chamboli's, the the uh, you talking about the uh, oh, like airport joint? That's the like the they got those in the malls and the airports. Chamboli's. No, not that one. No, the one. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> not, not that one. That's what you're trying to hold up against Detroit style pizza. That's no good. No, nah, the one over there on East. Okay, I'll 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 put that in my book. You don't know about Chamboli. We are not moving on. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> I understand how you don't know what that is. He's it's, bitch. You have to. I work and I go home and feed my kids. I mean, you literally catered from Stromboli's for a rock music thing. You literally bought pizza. Okay, next. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have been the cheapest price I could find, and that is why it was purchased. I probably didn't eat any of it either, so it's all right. Got to feed the kids. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Detroit cold or Rochester cold? Mm, I think Rochester is a little less cold than Detroit. Uh, the wind gets to kick in in Detroit. You know, Chicago is called the windy city, but on average, uh, uh, Detroit has higher and, and longer sustained winds than Chicago. That wind gets whipping through. We get the same amount of snow and it gets cold, but it's not as windy here. Um, so, so Detroit is colder. You know that song? It's so cold in the deep. You can check that out. It's bad, but <laughs> Ow. I don't. I didn't find Rochester to be cold. I found it to be annoying. It's too much snow. Was it cold? I didn't think it was cold. Chicago? Okay. Chicago's cold. I mean, cold. I Chicago. Oh yeah. But, I mean, they both cold. Chicago colder, but you, we would just wasn't cold. <laughs> I'm not gonna say I wasn't cold, but I would prefer I would prefer Chicago a Chicago winter over a, a Rochester winter anytime. I was impressed when I got here and they they have those little tractors that shovel the sidewalks. That's how you know it's bad. Right. And I, I was like, wow, this is intense because yeah. you were hoping the streets got done in Detroit. Now here they're doing streets and the sidewalks. Look, Chicago would, Chicago's pretty good with moving the snow, but like they, it's, it's the same thing with Rochester, like business as usual. Like it can snow 50 feet. I'll see right. you at work in the morning, you know, right. like literally, but I, re- I would take like Loki, remember that polar vortex at Sphinx? Chicago will be like a little bit warmer than that. Like it just gets stupid cold for no reason. That's why one day I was irritated. I remember like going to class or something, and it was Chicago cold and the Rochester snow. Like in Rochester, it was also cold, and I was like, we had we can't do both. Like this is oppression, you know. Like we cannot do both because I don't. I just don't find. I don't think Rochester's warm. Like oh, tank tops and thirty degrees, but I just didn't find it to be like as cold because i was like I, I was more annoyed i was like why is it snowing again not again <laughs> okay um so would you rather conduct orchestra or conduct wind band um i'd rather conduct wind band and and mixed ensemble chamber music i think and it's just because i'm more interested in the voices that are more new and current and in orchestra, you're always fighting against the canon. Not that the canon is bad, and I love it just as much as anyone else, and I have my favorites. But I think that the diversity of sounds that you can get with a wind ensemble or, like I said, a mixed chamber group um, that, that could include strings, for sure. I've done a lot of that. 
um, is really awesome. What do you think, Delaney? You played in both. Hmm? I said, what do you think? You've played in both. What do you think? Like, but for like me playing, like which route? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like the balance. I play in orchestra way, way more. Um, and sometimes when I'm in wind orchestra, I I like the I would say I I like some of the rep, like the the variation of rep and wind band. But sometimes it feels pointless because it'd be like we're playing with the whole trombone section too. I'm like nobody can hear me. Like oh, but they can. I was wondering about that. Do they mic you? No, right? How does that work? You just placement on stage, and it provides such a timbre. You know, a lot of times, as she said, is paired with trombone. A lot of times, paired with tuba. But the difference between a recording that has a string bass player and or two versus not, it's just it's like missing uh, crayons up crayon buttons. It's amazing. Hmm. Absolutely amazing. When I was in high school, I'm like, what they doing up there? Like when I saw, <laughs> I'm like, what they playing into the void? Like. <laughs> I'm sure it feels like that on stage, but I'm telling you out yeah. in, in the mix and in the audience, it's, it's a beautiful sound. Like, you know, that little boy that, that who was in charge, he was like, ah, I can't sound His mama slept. He was yelling in a praise, during a praise break. He was just like, you didn't see that video? Like, he was just yelling during a praise break. And was so, he's like, it's so loud Because it's like, no one can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kids these days they don't know they need to be quiet in church be seen and not heard i miss church low key but that's a long ways away i'm not going to church the mask on because how's that never mind okay um okay only a couple more memphis barbecue or a garbage plate memphis barbecue hands down i, I, don't, know. I don't know what that tastes like because the vegan Wait, what'd you say I don't know what that tastes like. Cause what, which which that are you referring to? Oh, I guess both actually. Yeah. Because a garbage plate did okay. not look. People who no, don't know. I've never had a garbage plate either. Yeah, people who don't know what a garbage plate. Now you can see what Rochester be going through. This is your claim to fame, right? So, <laughs> it's like let me not mess this up. It's like Max Out for whatever reason. There's an obsession with Max Out in Rochester. I don't get it. It's good, but it's like an obsession. It's like Max Salad and like hamburger meat. And you can choose hamburger, two hamburgers or hot dogs. Really? Hot dog, yes, girl. It's that on the bottom. Then it's the mac salad, and then it's like chopped onions, and then like some people get what like beans on it. I don't know if you get beans oh, and mac salad or you get one or the other, but it'd be like just chunks of raw onion on that. Like I like onion, but and just on. Are you adding one? The no, I've never had one. I'm talking about just onions in general, but like just in that context, does not seem good. And then, well, some bread on top. It's just a. It's what are we doing? And apparently, if you don't, um, if you don't have a garbage plate before you leave Eastman, you don't graduate on time. Took three years to finish, so I guess I didn't graduate on time. <laughs> and I would do the end. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Technically, whatever. But I just, I don't know. But also, there's not good vegan restaurants in Memphis. So I've never, do not talk about no Imagine Vegan Cafe over there on Young Street. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hang out in that area. But you, yeah, vegan, doggone it. Because you need to try the differences. And I remember, I don't eat beef or pork, so I haven't like been eating nobody's ribs or neck bones. But like the differences in the spices and the flavors from Central Barbecue to Rendezvous 
to Corky's to um, what is it? What's opened up? Germantown Barbecue versus uh, one in Tops, one right? something. Top Q. Something. Not well. Tops is the burger joint, isn't it? Uh, I think I, Tops I, is a hamburger. I think I saw meat. I just kept driving. I don't know, but I see them everywhere. Right, the Neelys, whether their place is called Interstate Barbecue. Remember the Neelys? They were like the first black people on the Food yeah. Network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many different barbecues and they're all really good and all very, de- oh, be- by the way, look, I got my Central Barbecue Cup. Right uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the get excited because whenever we come out here to take care of business, she got her list ready. I'm just... I want, yeah, I need to find, I'm, I'm a, if I ever go back to Memphis, I have family in Memphis, but if I ever go back there, I'm going to, I'm, I'm texting because I want, I love barbecue, but I want to try other places because I, re- I remember when I went to Dino's in Rochester and I was like, I need a refund. <laughs> no, it's not good. People rave about it. Because they don't know. Right. <laughs> we rolled up here and I was like, oh man, they got a barbecue joint. Let me go in here. And I was, I almost walked out. I was like, like, I would never spend USD here ever again. Now, the, the, a joint just opened up in the South Wedge owned by a black guy called Bubby's Barbecue. And we went there real good. Okay. Real good. And owned by a black guy. It's like, oh, nice. Okay. Love that for y'all. Okay. <laughs> Last one. Would you rather start? So rock music, I think my second year of rock music, Brass was introduced was introduced. Correct. Would you rather start rock music? Oh, you already said what it was. Okay. Would you rather start trumpet or start a violinist? Would you rather start a trumpeter or a violinist? You mean me personally? Like yeah, as, a, as an student? educator. Oh, either, either. Hey, on. Are you a Libra? No, I'm an Aquarius. What you talking about? Oh, that kind of makes sense. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, or if I have to pick one, I would say trumpet because I feel better about going further down the pedagogical path. Um, but you know, like at Memphis, we set it up where you know we're training the people to at least do the beginning basic pedagogy well, so that no matter where that kid goes afterwards, he or she or they are set up to be successful for whoever's going to be their teacher after that or whatever next level they attain. Uh, there's nothing worse than setting up a kid poorly and then watching them have to fix stuff mm-hmm. later. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we survived. That's it. Moving on. <laughs> all right. So, um, part of the reason why we have Army here um, today, in addition to, you know, just we've been saying we need to have him on the show. Um, two weeks ago, we had Stanford Thompson on to talk about NEMON, the National Instrumentalist Mentoring and Advancement Network. Um, and he talked a little bit about um the the bridge concept so we're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks to people who can speak to the different uh the different stages of an instrumentalist career um so since armin has worked in the public school system as well as an l system inspired program that starts a lot of kids in their early years um we're going to be talking to him a little bit about that um so before we do that um, we heard a little bit about his musical background, but um, we kind of just want to talk to you about um, some of the the barriers that you faced in different uh, stages in your musical journey, because that's kind of what Neman is all about, is kind of like specifically addressing the different points in a musician's career and what um, 
what barriers they face and how they can how they can um, mitigate those. So can you just kind of like take us through the like the learning of your instrument, your college studies, all of that? Like what were some challenges you, you faced and what did you find helpful? Well, I, I think that uh, one, we, we all, especially people my age and older, we all realize that we benefited from somebody's grace. Somebody allowed us, and however that, you know, opened up doors for us so that we could continue to do those things. I never wanted to be a musician. It wasn't even in my uh, thought process. Music was something that I did because my parents told me I had to. It was fun. It was on the side. But ever since I was in third grade, I wanted to be an astronomer and then a little later an astrophysicist. And that's what I was aiming towards. Like I graduated high school from Cass Tech, um, the one and only in Detroit. And I was a chemical engineering major and I went to Michigan and I was gonna, I was a physics major. That's what I was gonna do. I was doing ROTC or, you know, had set up to do NROTC. And I, I just kept playing because that's what I had always done in high school as well. And so I did the marching band and the, you know, they did concert band auditions. And so I got in a concert band and it just sort of clicked with me. It was like, I don't, know that I realized that to do my physics stuff I was going to have to like start to leave the music thing behind and that's mm -hmm. when I realized oh maybe this is more than just a hobby for me mm -hmm. so the reality is I just said well I'll just audition for school of music the University of Michigan School of Music that's you know <laughs> and so the, in in that sentence right there I realized that I had no clue of what I was doing mm -hmm. with the majority of the people who were getting into the University of Michigan School of Music had pre-planned all of that. And so what I've become hyper aware, especially, you know, when I was teaching high school marching band and when I was at, at Memphis is that so many people don't understand the path to attempt to be successful at going into the School of Music. We had a lot of students at, at the University of Memphis who would come in and before they figured out how to be um, the university students, they, they didn't know why they were doing music. It was just, as a colleague had said, it was the thing they hated the least in high school. And so it seemed to be the natural choice. <laughs> and for some of them, they left music and other, once they figured out how to, to make this happen, they did it. That's, that's a sad affair when we're racking up debt and we're sending students out here and claiming that they should be successful. So I think it's very important for parents and for families to wrap their arms around the fact that if your student is going to want to study music, he, she, or they are going to have to do a lot of prep work and you're going to have to help them do that. The idea that we help folks with auditions, but we don't get them lessons so that they understand what doing an excerpt audition is versus playing a couple of solos. Like those are completely different auditions mm -hmm. and how to prepare for them. So like doing the audition is not the key. It's how do you prep for that audition? Well, how do you learn about excerpts? If your teacher's not teaching you about excerpts and you're like, hey, I want to do YOLO National and now it's like, oh, I got to play this. What is this like 12 measures out of this larger page? Oh, you know, and so it's how do you set someone up for success? Unfortunately, that's asking people to to either identify self, identify early that music is what I want to do, or we have to change the thought process to make sure that beginning and intermediate advancing teaching is always preparing them to do this should they choose. So that like, you know, orchestral excerpts or things like that that are natural to the audition process are being taught, whether the student does them or not. So how do you make them fun and purposeful and, and that sort of thing? So I didn't take private lessons, except my parents 
always made sure I was around the best black jazz musicians and people in town. And I went to Cast Tech. They had a great music program, but I started playing clarinet in the seventh grade after playing cello from third through eighth grade. But there were like eight kids in my, in my band, in my K through eight school. It wasn't really a band. We had a fantastic um, person, Hosea Taylor, who was an amazing jazz pianist. And he came in and he taught us how to play our instrument, but he made us care more about the instruments and and that sort of camaraderie thing. And then I walked into high school into a 90 person concert band and was like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> From an eight, you know, eight person mm -hmm. band, you know, but unfortunately my cello playing, I had been in orchestra for five years and I didn't know what shifting was. Like when I got to Michigan and I had to take string class and they started talking about shifting, I realized at that moment, there was no way I was prepared to go to high school at Cass and be in their orchestra because I thought my fingers just went where the tapes were and that was it. <clears throat> so it's it's you know it's about how to set up so obviously based on this story I had people who believed in possibly my potential or were just nice to me to help me jump through that hoop that I was certainly not prepared to jump through mm -hmm. and I think about that every time I see a student who's thinking they want to audition for a music school anyplace mm -hmm. how prepared are they and what I can do to help yes yeah, it's an arm in a, a quite a bit I think I said, I said this before like I do a I have to be careful because I do a lot of projecting onto my students and that like I have two students in mind I won't say their names for obvious reasons who I am trying to push them into studying music um they just don't know that because I want them to have what I did not have I want I want you to know how to approach an excerpt I want you to know um that you that you need to figure out how to practice every day it, or six days a week. I want you to know how to how to perfect a um, a solo and not just play it through because like we're just gonna play it through and and it's it's good enough, you know. And I try not to project too much because also they they're always like Miss Brown, this is just something that we do. And I'm like ah, but what you don't know is that you're going to Eastman. That's what you don't know. And, and, but that's the thing. Like we have you know, what are we preparing our children to do? So many people in the United States, regardless of whether they're affluent or not, music is this sort of thing that just sort of happens in their life for 45 minutes a day or, you know, every yeah. other day. And Oh, they took these lessons and it's almost like a check mark. <clears throat> I took lessons when I was in school, but I will also tell you that the majority of the kids who are in my middle school band, when I would talk to their parents at parent teacher conference, the reason their kid was in band is because their parents would, and I quote, I quit band in the eighth grade or I quit in the sixth grade, I quit playing. And I realize now as an adult, that was a mistake. Hmm. Once I started hearing that over and over, I realized it wasn't just about the student's life. It was that these parents had realized what music could have meant and what playing an instrument could have meant to their lives. And they didn't want the same mistake. I mean, that's great. That's what we as parents, we try to make sure that our kids are, have something different or, or further along the path than we are. I think that's really powerful. Um, and I was in an affluent area, so it wasn't like for everyone money was an issue, but whether they be affluent and or not, it was the same story. I want my student to do this. I want my child to do this because I quit or I didn't have the chance to. Okay, so um, I'm just gonna outline a little bit of the bridge matrix so that um, okay. So that the listeners can know what we're talking about when we ask you the next couple of questions. So um, we can, the bridge matrix will be linked in the description box of the episode, but basically um, Stanford and his team have come up with like this, 
average of the of different and of different points in one's career. So entry level, high school, slash pre-college, college and conservatory, profession, pre-professional, and then finally young professional. And then among each of these five points on the bridge, there's also um there's also like facets um for each one. So um, there is the psycho, the psychological and the behavioral preparation. So like the mental aspects of preparing students at these different stages, technical training, logistical and financial support, organizational support, um, and then talent identification and opportunities. Um, so uh, with that in mind, lost my place. Love that for me. I got too many tabs open. I got too many tabs open. Okay, so. Um, with that in mind, how have you mentally prepared your students for a career in classical music? Speaking specifically, um, if you want, if you want, like, a, with public school versus your rock music students, and also since you mentioned your, your students at Memphis. Oh, I, I am not preparing students for a career in classical music. I'm I have seen it. I used to see it as a two track. I'm preparing instrumentalists to become as prof uh, uh, as technically proficient on the instrument as possible, depending on their age range, so that they have the choice. Like I realized very quickly, while I have an affinity for for what we know as Western art music, I also have a deep affinity for jazz. Can't play it to save my life, but I have a deep affinity and understanding of it. But you know, the the, the technique of playing my clarinet is not wholly different. I still have to do the same things right. to be successful in both spots. So as a teacher of an instrumental teacher, not a music teacher, but an instrumental teacher, that should be my job to prepare them to be, to do whatever they choose to do or to take whatever opportunity comes available to them. Now, like I said, I used to see them as two tracks as this, I'm also preparing you to be a musician by giving you the widest variety and widest range of experiences so that when you come into a music situation, you have some sort of foreknowledge about what that is. And we get a little bit of that, you know, oh, they take these students, you know, all these students from the hood and we take them to see a classical concert. That should be one of the things that happen so that they know, they learn what those expectations are, not that they need to conform to them, but they need to know what they are so they're not surprised by them. They need to see what it's like to sit on a stage and play and meet these people and one, see that they're human, but see that they also have this great technical facility. But in turn, we need to show them, we need to not pick classical and Western art music versus popular music to see where popular music has great talent and also to see where it doesn't add up. Why does the music theory of pop music many times suck? Well, it, it lacks the, the, uh, the intensity that's happening in some of the classical music in other places, but in other places it's using it really well. Hmm. Like all the people that are like, well, there's no music in rap, yet you can't hear the implied harmony in a, in a rap beat. You can't hear the bass line hit the dominant seventh and go back, but you can feel that anticipation and everybody knows when the hook is about to start because you felt it happen in that sort of way. So I think what I hope through my career and I'm, you know, I'm constantly learning and trying to be better is that I'm preparing people to meet the situation that they need to meet as an instrumentalist and as a musician, human artist sort of thing so that they have all the things available to them. If you're doing music ed and you're just going to be a middle school band director, I just think that's not enough. You might choose to do that for your career, but I hopefully you want more out of your musical life. Mm -hmm. So maybe really quickly, so should they choose, say, say 
one of your rock music students came up to you mm-hmm. and said, you know, Dr. Hall, I want to go to, I'm thinking about going to Eastman in two years. Right. How was that conversation? Like, have you, have you had to, to, have you had to prepare a student for the mental challenges that that are not even Eastman? It could be any right. study, any, music, any, any, right. anywhere. How, how is that conversation different? Or are you saying that either way in your training of, of students, they're going to be prepared for it mentally because it's already implied. You're implying that it should they choose is that what you're saying? Should they right. choose? They're going to do no, they already no, have that. No, I think that, you know, should you say, I want to do this now it's my job to highlight for you the specifics of that path. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to Eastman or you want, you know, you want to go study music as a, as a, as a performer. Here are the things you're going to need to do, and here's how you're on this trajectory, but we need to alter this in this way because you need to be prepared for these things. So I'm making sure that I'm forecasting for them everything that they're going to need to do, whether it be the audition process, the the possible theory and history examination. Are we preparing them for that so they're not caught by surprise? Are you starting to do some sort of oral skills thing so you're not the kid sitting in here and like, I have to sing too? I thought I was a clarinetist. Like, that's, that's what I said. I was like, well, I, I was like, don't write me. <laughs> There are kids, there are kids going to the Eastman Community Music School who've had five or six years of music theory before they get to college. You know, I, at Michigan, I walked in with a whole graduating class from the IA, from the Interlocking Academy. Music theory one for them was like, oh, why are we taking this class? It was like a money grab for the university, I'm sure, because they already knew how to do this, but there were others of us sitting in. It was like, oh, a chord. I, I, I play a single line instrument. Why do I need to be worried about a chord? So making sure that we're trying to demystify a lot of that stuff for them so that they understand the choice and they understand the path forward. And then if they want it, then places like, you know, like what Stanford is talking about, we give them the resources so that they can either catch up or be able to do it. So much of this has barriers, hidden barriers. Oh, you needed to take, I, you know, I took theory lessons when I was applying to Northwestern for their doctoral program because you had to take the entrance theory exam. And I knew that theory wasn't great for me. So I was able to pay for lessons to do that. But that's because I had a full-time job. And I had learned in two degrees that this was going to be something I had to be prepared for mm-hmm. as opposed to being surprised by it. So I think it's, it's illuminating for them. Okay, if you want to go on this path, here are the things that you need to be prepared for. Hopefully our teaching has gotten you ready to do that. But if not, here's the, the fast course and let's get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there has to be something about playing an instrument that is enjoyable for the common person. Can we have a very high level of just community music making that then these people who make these choices or they get plucked out, you know, take it to the whatever the next level or the next five levels is. So you talked a little bit about, you know, making sure that all your students are like technically proficient. Um, but when you're working with um, especially younger students that may not necessarily be starting on the instrument, but um, how do you how do you go about approaching developing mastery in students who have been mismanaged? Because that's something that um, I feel like I've seen a lot in, especially um, you know, children that that may learn in El Sistema programs or or just in public school programs where there's not a lot to go around in terms of musical instruction or private instruction. Uh, how do you go about catching these things early in um, in, in really developing that that technical uh, aspect? Well, I, you know, the 
Um, I'm just playing a clarinet. Like you have to be able to do certain things on the clarinet. And so whether you start as a 15 year old or you start as a six year old playing the clarinet, you're still gonna have to be able to do these things to you know, play these tunes that you wanna play or play in this ensemble that you wanna play in. And so it, it really is the, on the instrumental side, the technique is just a benchmark. And so you track along that wherever, however old you are shouldn't matter, however much experience you've had, you're, you're at point B. And you need to get to point C so that you can get to point D. If we're scaffolding the pedagogy correctly, the reason I got you to point B wasn't because of some arbitrary reason, it was because you needed to do these things so that you could do point C and, and therefore afterwards. So I think it's about, you know, having empathy and compassion for the student that you have and understanding that it's not directed at them, the clarinet demands that this is the next skill that you need to learn so that you can be successful. And they get to define what's successful, whether their program defines what's successful, but nobody really gets to define what point B is. That's a, that's a known thing. You know, there might be some variations in point B, but you got to be able to do this before you can do it. You got to be able to hold it correctly and cover the holes or all the other stuff matters not. You can be the best sight reader in the world. You're not going to sound good. If you don't have a great embouchure, you're not going to be able to do this. If you can, you know, um, and so I think if we're taking the approach of technique at where the person is and moving them to the next stop on the line, then it's never about why they suck or why it's bad for them. And that's why New Horizons would work. If I'm a you know, 60 year old person and I wanna to learn to play the clarinet, I still got to go through the same stuff the six year old is going through as well. Um, I, if you're asking about how do we catch folks up who have been unfortunately in programs that have set them up poorly, I think that's where the empathy comes in even more. You have to balance that. Yeah, I know you want to be in this ensemble and you think about this in a different way, but your technique is a lot younger than your mental capacity and your experiences in music. And that may not be your fault, but if we're going to fix this together, you got to be able to do this with me and I'm going to help you with it. And I, I just think it's, a, and it's an approach to work with that child, but that's why these programs need people who are willing to meet the child at their, at their level and not just say, well, you got to be able to do it, so say it too bad, get out. That sort of cutthroat school music mentality doesn't necessarily prepare you to go into a community and work with folks. I don't know that I answered your question, but I mean, it's... <laughs> we just chilling, aren't we just chilling? Okay. Having a good time. I mean, I, you 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 ask great you ask great questions, and we all hopefully are trying to be better at what we're doing in the in the pedagogy of it. And you know, you meet people who have been mismanaged. I'm sure people thought I was mismanaged, but I will tell you, it was I was never intending to do it, so there was never any drive. But I don't know if I had had a drive. Did my parents know enough, or did we we have enough money to to meet that drive? There were certainly the resources were available. And that's the thing I think like in Rochester and Detroit and Memphis, resources are available, but it's like, oh, if you don't know to look here, well, you just keep walking by and he yeah. won't eat it. And it's like, ah, you know, how do we illuminate the resources and just say, okay, when you're ready for this, here's how you make this happen. Okay, so we kind of danced around this a little bit, but can we, can you speak specifically to the financial barriers that students face in the early stages of, of their musical careers? Like, um, like, I, think I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think the uh, good equipment, <clears throat> functioning equipment, that's the functioning equipment, and also the understanding of that the, the uh, purchase of a 
good clarinet doesn't mean that you can play, but it means that you will possibly be able to if taught well. Mm -hmm. And so that if you're relying on, we, we do it really easy in sports. We really do it easy in other boutique kind of things, but oh, you've got music in school, so that's what you have. But if I'm not, you know, I was a worse violin teacher 20 years ago than I am now. If I was starting somebody 20 years ago, I might've been setting them up incorrectly, right? And so was I setting that, and that's, yes, it's my fault, but it's certainly not the student's fault. So lessons and purposeful lessons, people that know how to work with that child and that situation with that instrument, access to instrument, and also the, the uh, what do you call the perishables on instruments, reeds and strings. And, you know, so the parents, you know, you shell, I shell out $500 and then two weeks later, you told me that string broke. And they're un understandably upset because nobody explained to yeah. them that that single cost was also gonna come with all these things if there's a, gonna be a chance. Oh, the bow hairs broke out. Oh, the pegs are slipping. I got instruments that are nah, falling apart. Hold on. Right, right? You know? but, Timmy White, no, nah, but little Timmy Wilder, because the dad song should not do all of that to no violin. You break a string on the dad song, D-A-D? No, nah, that's another conversation. They javelin that junk. Well, yes, yes, but if you went to your public school and you got handed an instrument that looked okay, but that you didn't understand that that string was unraveling and inside, that it was stripping, yeah. or that when it got you like, and so it breaks, the kid doesn't know what to do, the parent doesn't know what to do, how much access do they have to this? So I would just, that's where the private instruction, if paired with the public school, you know, the other, if they're working in tandem, then those things can be fixed. It's really hard also for a public school music teacher to have to manage like 400 kids at a time and be that person for all of them. So is there a more of a community aspect? So the public school teachers working with all the private teachers and everybody's in tandem working together for the success of the kids. Then the experiences that they need to have, just because just I'm uh, learning to have a flute wheel toot on my instrument doesn't mean that I'm getting the ensemble experience that I need. To, to have so that I want to continue on and so that I know something about orchestra music before I have to take my first orchestra audition in, in my undergrad. And as I hear play these excerpts and oh, look, this guy Shostakovich 9, he got this thing, oh, it's this clarinet thing, oh, that's nice. But like, you don't know that piece? There's no way you're gonna play it the way it needs to be played regardless of how well you sight read it. Mm -hmm is not going to be played. So we're talking about experiences in music, taking to the students to see, I know kids don't buy CDs anymore, but you know, what are they listening to? How are we, you know, I don't even know how that happens anymore. I guess you get it on Apple Music, but are, you know, are we listening to things to set them up for success, wide varieties? But I really think it's the instrument and the understanding, back to your question, of the constant costs to that instrument. Mm -hmm. And every instrument, has, I mean, even the flute that doesn't have reeds and strings, there's like there's repairs, there's sticky pads, there's things to make sure that that flute is in working condition so the kid has a chance. Yeah, I think with that working condition piece, like um, I hit up Armin a couple months ago and I was like, can you get these two, like two of my girls better instruments are taking these auditions and and I tried to be careful with that because I, I remember telling them, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with your viola. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you to think there's anything wrong with it, but you're playing things for the first time in their life, they're going to the seventh position and their viola is not letting them do that. I'm like, that's not fair. You have necks that are, are too big to get around and you're expected to do all this stuff. Like, it's, um, it's challenging. I wanted to know if you could just elaborate a little bit more and speak to specifically, like, 
and something like El Sistema where it's like a free model where everything is free. What are some of the struggles you, you've noticed in exploring, explaining costs to um, students? Because one of, one of your, one of the rock music students, I, I know her dad, you're following, you'll follow me when I finish. I know her dad from Greek life. And so when I first entered the Greek scene, he was like, oh, you know, my daughter plays violin. Can you, can you give lessons? And I was like, yeah, like, of course. Like, cause he was like, you know what I'm saying? Like she already takes violin for free. So, you know, add some lessons. And I was like, yeah, I told him my rate. He was like, oh, and it's like, yo, I only got a master's degree. This is reasonable, <laughs> you know. So, if you could speak uh, more specifically um, to that, like, what it's like, that's one thing I've noticed. It's like, um, like application fees or something. Parents are like, whoa, I thought this was free, you know. But it's like the world. There's a world outside of rock music that we just getting started, boy. Like, <laughs> we just getting started. Right. I mean, but. The- <laughs> That, that's what I'm talking about, this sort of incognito, sort of hidden fees world, like the, the application fees for, we've got uh, local ensemble uh, auditions happening. And there's application fees and people don't understand why. We have gone through it. I still can't necessarily tell you why other than people have to pay bills, but we know it's a reality. Yet, and somehow we keep that from the parents. Something that uh, uh, you guys know, Lucinda Ali Landing uh, from the Hyde Park, Hyde, yeah. uh, Hyde Park Suzuki Institute. She has this this parent group that mm, she yeah. curates, and they, you know, they talk about these things. So I, I, it seems to me that her parents are less surprised by those things. You know, the music teacher, which is a public school program or an El Sistema program, they're like focused on the kid. But how we know that for the kid to be successful, the parents have to be in informed and prepared to help them be successful as well. Mm-hmm. And knowing what rates are for lessons and knowing that, you know, this stream of music, if they're going to be successful, can't be the only thing that mm-hmm. they do. They've got to do more. Um, and then knowing that our, our students need to be, you know, paying audition fees and paying for lessons, you know that if you really want to go to a good school, you need to have taken a lesson with said teacher before you get there. We know that. We can't hold on to that information. Mm-hmm. We have to make it widely known. and then set it up for little Johnny and Susie, they can't pay for it. So we know that you're in there, we gonna, we gonna fund this, or I got a donor that's not necessarily running our program. We set money aside, because one day our kids are gonna be going and taking these auditions. And we know what it takes, you got to fly there, you got to get a hotel, you got to pay for a lesson with the teacher, you know, the day before, if you're smart, and, and, and take a lesson with them, so you can see if you like to study with, like, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you wanna get taken, but if you get taken into a school and you don't like the teacher and y'all don't get together, well, that's going to be a horrible experience. I mean, mm-hmm. you're burning up capital time and all these sorts of things. So taking a lesson with said person. But these are the only the things that I know because I've been through it. And we right. all know them. But for some reason, musicians have this like Stockholm syndrome that we're like, well, I went through it this way. And that's just yeah, how it is. It's weird to me. I hate that so much. I, I, tell, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, I, you must, I need you to, I will hold your hand along the way like i had that yellow national audition they were texting me 11 at night i'm like yo i'm like keep it coming ask me every question i like, do not do it on your own i will answer your question like please do not like i have I, I suffered do not do not suffer there's no there's no need for it there's no reason ask me text me anytime i'll answer I, I do not want you to go through this there's no reason for everyone I, I, this, I, this obsession with like having a thick skin and, 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 and like, girl, ask me, I will tell you. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and you know, I, and I, I, I know that that's one of the things that uh, 
Stanford's bridge matrix is going to break down because there's going to be people all along the way that say, hey, oh, by the way, around the next corner is this set of things right. and this sort of expectation. And just so you know, so when you go around that corner, you at least are prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that we have to do. And I try to do all the time, you know, setting expect, setting realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And at Memphis, it was easier because I was able to talk to this person who was an adult and help them make the choices and then bring in their parents if they want to, but FERPA stopped me from going to their parents. So it was like, I got to speak to you. But, you know, in rock music and the public school things, it's like, get these parents in the door and say, this is all fun and good and we can learn to play these instruments. But if there's going to be something after this, you need to know this. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope to follow in uh, Lucinda's, uh, follow that model and start something like that here yeah. so that our parents are aware. I mean, we're on the doorstep of Eastman. And for them, for our community not to know what it takes to get there, that 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 would be a shame, regardless of how well our kids play. You know that one kid that we that should have gone there, um, the violinist. And yep. I was talking to I still think about the day. I was talking to his mom in September. He, he takes lessons, took lessons at Eastman Community Music School. I'm talking to his mother about what it takes to get in Eastman. And she looks flabbergasted. I'm like, why? Do you not? I'm, I'm, it's after rock music. And I'm like, yeah, so we need this, this, and this by this, this, and this time. And I'm like, this is ridiculous because you go, you take lessons at the school. And I'm telling you this literally eight weeks before the, the pre-screening is due. Right, but that, you know, that's why, like, you know, your local band and orchestra director needs to build a community so the people that they have teaching lessons, they know are also doing these sorts of things. Because I think as musicians, all of us of a certain age, we all have that Stockholm syndrome. So the people teaching at these other programs who are teaching your kids lessons may not be telling them the things that they need to tell them. Not because they're trying to keep it from them, not that they're being intentional, but they're, uh, they're I think, think they're them? being. You don't think some of them are? I forgot. Well, I'm, I'm I think there's worried. enough. I think I'm, there's I'm, enough I'm of them make sure not. The donors ain't listening. That's okay. Right. Right. No. I, That's I okay. Think there's enough I feel of them you. You got a program. It's fun. There's enough of them being accidental that it doesn't matter about the ones who are being intentional because the same thing is happening to the kid. So whether I'm being intentional or not, the kid is still not prepared sure. for what he, she, or they needs to do. Sure. Um, so I think I think that's that's hugely important. And this situation that you're talking about is a shame. You know, because this person had enough people guiding them, they just weren't being guided in any sort of way that would would represent you know success as we were as we we're trying to define it. Have you heard the theory that um, for every decision you make in an alternate universe, someone made the theory. other? Is that that's what it is? So other someone made the other. What gives me peace is that I know in the alternate universe he's, he's going to Eastman. <laughs> <laughs> you said what? That's what gives you peace. I need something because that is a mess. <laughs> and, and also because, like, with ECMS, like a majority of uh, uh, kids are paying to go to ECMS. They are um, already in the position to know, like, oh, I gotta pay top dollar to send my kids to ECMS. That's why. That's why they're not like, oh, let's lay out everything every step of the way because a lot of the kids that are there, their parents don't don't need that because they have already. They already have that the means and the frame of mind to put them in that situation. Mm -hmm. I hear Where, you. I uh, bet though there I bet there's still a lot of them that don't know. They mm -hmm. think that taking the lessons checks the box and then they'll be ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
we know that there's all those other things and whether they have the means to do them or not, I think is very different than saying they understand that if this is the road you choose, you have to do these sorts of things. So like taking the lessons at your local community music school is very different than trailing off and, and going to find the university professor that you want to study with and studying with his or her grad students and or studying with him or her so that you can be prepared to be accepted and what that college audition looks like and all the fees and when you should, you know, I, yes, it, I think it's there, but I think a lot of them are still missing the story. So then that means our people who don't have that influence, they're like way, way nowhere near prepared. And I think that's what the, the, the teacher comes in with, because even like if you take two students, one of which is that student who was like their parents put them in ECMS and are, and are paying for that and, and whatever. And then you have the student that was in rock music and then through rock music, they found out about that and they went to ECMS on a scholarship or whatever. I feel like, and I've, I went through an Elsa Summer program, I feel like there are teachers who will see that and there are certain even though there's that that lack of understanding like you said but they may not understand what it teachers will offer information to people who they think can do something with it yeah so they'll be like oh yeah your parents are paying oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you coming to, to ecms uh, three days a week well you know you really might could pay for a lesson to go study with this professor they will pass that information along to them saying like yeah you need to take a trial lesson you need to do x y and z because they know that they can do that they might not even bother with the, yeah. with the, with the student right no but I mean, if you ask why that's still some sort of gatekeeper mentality mm -hmm. right i don't should everyone be a professional musician going through a, a music school no but I don't think there's any reason why everybody can't play their instrument at a really high level so that right. there can be some self-fulfillment in your community and, and, and those sorts of things. And that's what our community music programs, that's what our El Sistema programs, that's what our public school music programs should be doing. That's why they were created historically was to improve the community. And then yes, some of these people would go on to become music teachers and professional musicians. And now it's just like, you're not getting great community music building you're not building community and only a couple of the minnows are swimming out and getting to music school and then half of them aren't making it because mm -hmm. we had when we did our sphinx live show last year um and yeah somebody who was like yeah my teacher was like yeah that may not be for you you should just go to community college and there's, there's nothing wrong with and there is nothing wrong with that but then we ended up at eastman why like <laughs> oh so. yeah but it's that story that I think continues the the Stockholm syndrome. It's like, you know, well, that person was obviously able to work in and obviously they were. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, a portion of my story was just pure determination yeah. to get it because it shouldn't have it shouldn't have worked. But I wouldn't say that that's a great story to be telling everybody <laughs> that this is the way it should be done. Mm -hmm. I just you don't know. think like, that's I just don't want that to i've been thinking about that a lot lately like i just don't want that to be the story like i know because i feel like classical music is going to require some type of grit and determination regardless like that mm -hmm. is the nature of the field but so I, I i can't speak to that but i feel like this like i need a tough thick skin i need to suffer i need to to toil and i just don't think i want that to no longer be necessary and how that's going to happen I, I don't know but like, I feel like all that energy needs to be 
um, going towards being able to play in B flat and to stay in B flat. And I feel like that's where you, that's where your energy should stay. And not like I have to overcome my teacher gatekeeping. I have to overcome my, my, my peers being racist. I have to overcome this. I have to do this. And, 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 and my quartet may call me the N word, but here I am. And it's like, <laughs> why does this have to be? And I, I, I would love for that to be a thing. I would love when I lay my eyes to rest for the promise time that there there are there are black kids who do not have to suffer in addition to already a field that lends itself to suffering. <laughs> like why can't we just can you can you start in B flat, go to F and go back to B flat and not end up in C. So then does the does the end of the conversation, and this is gonna be sacrilege and this is probably gonna take gonna be cut off. <laughs> why <laughs> Why is Eastman the goal? You know, if if all the you know these, these issues that we're talking about, like these issues that we're talking about, is like you know, how do we get the, the these children to Eastman? Maybe that shouldn't be the goal. And maybe I'm blowing smoke when I'm like, you know, if we're preparing everybody to be great, whether you go to Eastman, Michigan, this sort of this place, that that doesn't necessarily define your ability to have yeah, of success. Course. No. Right. So, I mean, I think when we talk about this, then removing Eastman out, because if we're preparing the student, whoever he, she, or they are, to be successful, then if they want to live in Rochester Cold and they like the teacher at Eastman, then they then they can go to Eastman and there's a set of hoops. But if they're going to so-and-so state university that's got a strong music program and they're ready to do this, they should be just as prepared to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be a financial decision, a regional decision, all sorts of things. Yeah, because these, I mean, these conservatories have their own issues as well. Like there were periods, I mean, we were, we were, we were both on the committee um, for Eastman. <laughs> there was a period where I'm like, I don't even know if I would tell somebody to go here. Like they were just like saying, um, you know, some of the, the anonymous feedback of just the formation of that committee, just being like, not even knowing that there are people, I mean, kind of knowing but getting a confirmation that there are people who who work in these institutions who think that having black kids go there is pointless that focusing on supporting them in that is pointless like which is is ridiculous but um i think part of the reason why a lot of times we focus on that as a goal is because a lot of the students they go into these programs or they go into music seeing that as a goal and thinking that what they're doing is enough and so it's kind of like, in, in, in some ways it helps, or I found like with some like younger students, it may help to frame it that way. Like, cause they already have, have this, this picture in their mind that like, wow, this is a great music school. And I played the violin for 30, for, for an hour and a half, two times a week. And so I'm going to get there. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of like you frame it. Okay. But if this is the goal, then it's X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be Marcus Garvey because that's that's certainly not my shtick. But, you know, we should be able to go to our HBCUs. We should be able to go to our state schools. I mean, that's the thing I love about Memphis. Like it is it for the region. It is the powerhouse. And there are a lot of folks that come out of there and can do things. 
Yeah. You know, and so how do we prepare them to be successful there? Because there there can be a pipeline to, to get them out and get jobs. And, you know, as the orchestras try to figure out what they are, what is the professional meaning I'm getting paid to play music? What is that world going to look like? Mm-hmm. And it, you know, there's always going to be some sort of orchestra, but maybe there's other avenues to make music, Western art music even, that's not in an orchestra. And I can do this. And I mean, I think that's what some of these El Sistema programs offer is a chance for you to put portfolio your life together by teaching in these communities. So if you're going to come in these communities, you better be a top rate musician and you better have a sense of what it means to learn to play this instrument and to help somebody get there. Because if not, you shouldn't be here. You're not a bad person, but you shouldn't be here. Because what's at stake for these students is too, no matter how rich or poor they are, for that individual kid, this is too important to be left up to chance as we have done it, you know, for the, for the last 120 something years. You know, because that's when public school music education became big in the United States, you know, turn of the century. We started seeing all these big bands and then the orchestras followed very quickly trying to model off the professional orchestras. And so we've been doing this for 120 years and, you know, we should know how to do this better across the board than we, than we claim we do. I would love that uh, uh, HBCU conservatory. That would have been lit. Period. But hopefully the kids. As long as, long as you came out of there and you were just as prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's your goal of going to music school is I want to be great on my instrument. And so, yeah, I get to choose this sort of experience. But at the end of the day, if you can't play your instrument, it doesn't matter what the experience was. Right, but we should be able to offer those things. Well, we kind of—I mean, we kind of got into the next question naturally. Like, you know, we were going to ask a little bit about like um, approaching that that learning curve that there are for like the orchestra guardians, like you know, um, the parents and guardians that are just putting their kids into this and don't really know what's next so like we kind of I mean touched on that both on the financial level and just the the logistics right like what what that takes so kind of um like moving on from that can you talk about the ways that you engage your rock music students in like the larger community um kind of introducing you know the outside influences um to their music education well, it, uh, you know, and it, I've sort of come to this naturally over my teaching career as an important thing is to have for anything you do in life, whether it be eating good food or watching, you have to have, have had a spectrum of them so you know what you like and you start to do, create taste. Well, if we're going to expect our students to be musicians, not necessarily instrumentalists, but musicians, we have to expose them to a wide range of things and not just expose them in the here, listen to this, but have them do things. And so in our ensembles and in our, in our chamber music and the rep that we're picking for our solos, we're being intentional about, yeah, we can play the Suzuki stuff, but that Suzuki piece in that book is there for a pedagogical reason, because you're going to learn X, Y, and Z by playing this tune, which essentially means if you know what you're doing, you can plug and play that piece with a myriad of styles 
and composers and other experiences that say, hey, let's play this piece. And did you know that this composer did this and this music comes from this country and hey, let's try this food. So we try to make sure that we're, we're providing this broad spectrum and supporting, you know, one, in starting to learn enough about the students so we know what their families, communities, music is about and sort of uplifting that through what we're doing too. How can I play the violin over this Puerto Rican beat and this will be fun and cool so that we're just, we're acknowledging that their community's music is just as important and learning the violin doesn't mean that you can't play that music. Maybe nobody does it, but learning the violin is an instrument. So we, we try to be as raw, as broad in our musical choices and genres as possible and making sure that we're bringing in people from the community and professional musicians who do these sorts of things. Like just this evening, Wamba Africa started a dance residency in our, in our dance directors and our percussionists are gonna get in like, this, this is music straight from Ghana. This isn't some pan West African drum and stuff, uh, you know? And so we're bringing these people in, why? Because they're in our community. And our students and our families should know about them. I don't know why Wamba Africa is here, but I think it's really cool that they're here. So we'll partner with them just as much as we, we've got Puerto Rican drumming going on. Why? Because we've got a large population here in Rochester that is Puerto Rican. So I think it's knowing the communities in which you're serving and then trying to layer on top of that. Here's what's going on in classroom. Let's go see this Mahler concert that the RPO is putting on and let's learn a little bit about Mahler and let's hear that. And how does that compare to things? So just trying to curate these experiences for them so that they can then have a buffet to choose from when they do that. I think that's how you raise a child. I, I you know, I've, I've just come to that, that that's what's important, giving them this wide spectrum so that they then can choose as knowledgeably as possible. Can you talk about what recruitment and retention look like for rock music and also to go further, what are some missteps you see from other programs um, that are not connecting closely with Black students? Well, I mean, let's just talk about the, the missteps that we have done in, in rock music. And I'm only going to even speak about, you know, in my time here, the idea that something is free I have a concept of offering the, all of these free musical experiences and this free education and this intense five to six hours a week because I know the value of that. The community which I'm offering does not have this information that I have and so it does not have the same value to them. And so for me to be confused as why no one's signing up for this and we have these conversations all the time where I go, we don't know why people are, are missing, we should have people knocking at the door. They don't see it as valuable. They've got other priorities. So what we have to do is make it seem valuable to them. And then when they get in there, explain more. And I think that's, you know, in trying to open up the sort of styles of music that we do and the making sure that our being intentional about our teaching staff being diverse. So if you're worried about, you know, playing the violin means this sort of Eurocentric sort of music, but it's being taught by this Puerto Rican teacher who also is married to the drum instructor and you know them from town and they're in your community it lends credence to it. So I think, you know, for our, for our black students, instrumental music is misses somehow because the popular, the standard of music right now in African-American communities is vocals or it's some sort of, you know, computerized. It's, it's not the old Frankie Beverly and Mays, everybody's playing instruments anymore. Like that, that doesn't lend itself. So how do you 
reach that student and say, hey, you can come and learn these musical skills, which will help you do that stuff later on, but you can also learn to play the violin, trumpet, whatever. So one, expanding our instrument set had a lot to do with, you know, not only what we could do with the students afterwards, but not everybody wants to play the violin. So we got to offer some other things. And so, you know, so now, now we're offering trumpet and trombone, and we're offering actually now bass, guitar, keyboards, drum set, and we've even got a DJ skills class, just doing anything we can to get the kids in the door, because once we have them there, mm-hmm. we can then start to move the needle on some of these other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trying to do that. I, but I think that it, it really rests with the fact that I, the people I work with, the people who work for me, we understand the value of what we're offering, mm-hmm. but the community doesn't. So uh, we're still trying to figure out how to communicate that better mm-hmm. to the community so they see a value in it. Um, I just think, you know, let's just be honest. And because unless you're, and these things always run up against stereotypes, but unless you're the producer and you've got the popular music thing going on and you're fitting that stereotype, music is not necessarily something that's seen as a a profession in black communities, not the black communities I'm from. Now, all the black music, all the musicians I knew were black, but they always seemed like outliers. And it's, oh, it's really cool that they do this. But the person who played the organ at the church was also working at the plant. And they just had great piano skills and they did this. And the person that led the choir was not necessarily some trained uh, vocal pedagogue, pedagogue or whatever. It was so-and-so sang really well. And she works over here at the, at the dry cleaners, but this is her church choir and they were really badass. And so it's how do we, how do we make, make this music seem tangible to communities where the professional side of music and money-making skills of it, it, it means something. And so I think it's, again, connecting those dots. You, you like producers, we're going to do that. Let's bring you in here and tell you all the things that real producers need to know. So I find a producer who is black, but who has all of that sort of training. They're not just the, I figured it out on my own. And we have them work with, but it's hard to find. I'm still looking for that person right now. You know, who can meet the students where they are, but then also take them to this next level of the stuff that, you know, music theory wise and all the techniques, all the tech they have to learn how to do. And then how do you record an instrument? And then we start to back away from that. Oh, well, let's record this. Well, you better play this instrument better if you wanted to record, (laughs) if you want to record the sound. And so we sort of back them into playing these instruments in this sort of way. But I think it's a, I wake up every day and it's like, okay, what's a new way that we can approach this? It's, It's a never ending battle. And there is no one way, and we certainly don't have it right. But um, I'm always willing to to take the next step and find the next thing that might work for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it wasn't hard for my mom to initially. My mom was always been supportive of me doing whatever, <laughs> except for I wanted to be a chef, and she wasn't down with that. And I wanted to be, um, I wanted to do hair, and she wasn't down with that. But anything else after that, she was cool with, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think when I when I mentioned Northwestern, of course, I wasn't prepared to take a Northwestern audition. I backed out of my Northwestern audition on my own, even though I took private lessons, because for some reason, I was prepared to take a Northwestern audition. I wonder why. That wasn't something that we talked about in lessons. So my, my undergraduate audition was a mess. I played like the first page, the first, I played Stamets up until... The, the exposition of Stamets, I literally stopped and my teacher was like, oh, that's it? And I was like, yep, that's all I have. And like something else. <laughs> like I wasn't prepared for a Northwestern audition. But the, the I just want to talk to the point you said that the the organist at my church, the music, the music minister at my church, 
was trained, was a classically trained musician at Northwestern. So I was like, oh, Brother Vernon went to Northwestern. Yeah, why don't you go down there and apply? You know, so like that connection, my mom was completely open to that. She was like, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. Like that's that was in our community that he was a classically trained musician who could just, uh, he, he could cite, he could, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called. I can't do it. Improvise and stuff and on the piano. And then, you know, you know, the church was about to fall out when, because we used to have a grand piano. I think our pastor sold it or something. I, I don't see it around anymore. But we used to have a grand piano on one side of the, of the altar and then the, the drum and all of the stuff on the other side. And you know, the church was about to fall out when Brother Vernon went up there. He put the lid up and he, uh, <laughs> the, he started playing in the choir. He would be directing the choir from the thing and, and playing on the grand piano. Like, that was like so normal to me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to Northwestern too, just like Brother Vernon. That's what, that's what they do. That's what we do. You go to Northwestern. So, yeah. Right. But, you know, but where, where did it fall apart that you did not connect with Brother Vernon beforehand? So, Brother Vernon could have been like, Oh yeah, this is all nice and dandy, but here's what I had to do, and and I and I'm asking legitimately because your teacher should have put you on to that, but then hopefully your community is also developed. We know little Katie Brown; she's always up here playing her violin, viola in front of the church. You know, why did that connection fail? That's the thing that's interesting to me. Not that it would have saved it. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't. I don't know. I wonder what happened there. I, I, I didn't talk to Brother Vernon about that. I was also scared of him. He was the dean of students at my school as well. So was, <laughs> that, Brother Vernon was very like, he was, he's, a, he's a big man. He's very tall. And I was like, hey, what's good with it, Brother Vernon? Keep pushing. You know, it wasn't, I, so I never had, I remember I was talking to one of my church sisters a couple weeks ago. She's like, you should probably tell Brother Vernon that you are in Memphis playing in an orchestra. Because like, we just never, I never spoke to him about this. I might ask him like, can you help me play solid rock on the viola? Like I do stuff, little stuff like that, but like it really wasn't anything more than that. I think I think my church life and my school life was also very separate. I don't, I didn't, I've never really made the, I didn't, I didn't make that much of a connection with them because I was, I was like in the youth ministry, but only kind of because I always had some type of rehearsal, some type of this, some type of I, I was shot in high school for whatever ungodly reason. So I always had like some type of practice. Um, so yeah, my my lives were kind of separate. So maybe that's why too. And I think that's what, what I envision, and maybe romantically, old black, old black community, that sort of thing wouldn't have happened because yeah, everybody yeah. would have known what little Katie Brown was doing. And I think that's one of the positive things of El Sistema in Venezuela. Like the whole community was always there. So if you started rising to the top and you know, you're know you like, oh, she's playing a lot, this is getting serious, that Brother Vernon would have been seen it and made that connection. Now, of course, there could have been something personal there, but I, I wonder how do we make those connections? Mm-hmm. Because how many Brother Vernons are sitting out in our community right now and we're not tapping into them? And it's not your fault as a kid that you didn't go up in it because you didn't know. And your mother probably didn't know that you should have put you with him. And so, but somebody did. Somebody had to have known. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those are the things I worry about because those aren't easy answers. Right. But those are the answers that make more successes than not once you have the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's what Stanford's network starts to, you know, starts to put to bed some of that stuff. So you have somebody watching you. You have self-identified that maybe this is something I want to do. Now you got all these people helping you out along the way to say, oh, did you think of this? Oh, did you think of that? It's like, oh, no, I didn't. Damn. Mm-hmm. Thank God you, you know, 
and helping you financially do it because telling you you got to pay all these fees is very different than saying hey you got to pay these fees and how about we take care of three of them for you and you only have to work to take care of these other two when i told ina that i needed the viola when i got to isu when i went down there with that rental and kate was like so my teacher kate was like so this is not gonna work i called my mom like yeah, i need a viola my mom was like that's good for you baby <laughs> what is she gonna do what's your five thousand dollars from luckily right. for luckily i just you know stuff that's be working out because i had so much rental credit that they just they just made some numbers disappear they same just, thing like, happened to me they just my worked teacher, something out <laughs> my teacher said don't come back in here until you have a buffet r13 you know and i had the, at the time i had the wood clarinet it was like to step up and everybody in high school was like oh i got the wood clarinet that means something and she said do not come back unless you have a and luckily luckily kate was more understanding but it was either use isu's viola but i would but kate was i feel bad because there was another girl who came in with me there was three freshman violas it was like a huge deal because that never happened at isu so we had three <laughs> freshman violas one of them was way further along a dear friend of mine eileen she had her own stuff she'd been doing music she'd been all that with lessons this and that boop, 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 boop. there was her and there was me and rachel and rachel right she she rolled that isu viola out until kate was finally like you must which is like how can you tell her that like she can't afford it you know but luckily for me i just went to the shop i'm like yo i need a viola didn't have all the money for it they were like but i've been rent since seventh grade they were like we'll just take the viola and they right, took the running here but you would also be, you'd be dogging Kate if she let that girl ride out that degree on that university owned. And at the end, they're like, yeah. hey, can we have our viola back? And then she's like, what, 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 what? Yeah, like, I mean, obviously she can't, what, it's, it puts her in a hard, it puts her in a hard position. Cause like, she, I'm like, now I'm putting Rachel's, but I haven't talked to Rachel in years. But like, she, Rachel did the best Sarah. she could, but Sarah, 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 yes, Sarah, did. Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah did the best she could, but Kate's right. Like she, you cannot keep playing this instrument. And also you are, that's another conversation. You are a music major. You have to own an instrument. You right. must own it. Also, Kay was very into pedagogy. So, like, what are you going to teach on? If you don't, you don't, you don't even own an instrument to teach on. Right. I, I think she was in a similar position, similar position as me. She had a viola. We all had. I had a viola, but like not a viola-shaped object. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, but, but I, so, when you ask specifically what happens to black kids, I think they have so many other structures in their lives that aren't preparing them to be music majors because so many people in their lives don't know that they get to a spot like that and kate in that instant tells you the truth you've got to have your own viola and it's got to be a good viola if you're going to do this mm -hmm. but it can't just be left there <laughs> be like you know don't come back unless you got one <laughs> i'm like, all right <laughs> it's like you know if i don't have anybody in my life to turn to because nobody else understands this now i'm this maybe adult, but adolescent in brain about how this thing as a music major works, learning that truth at that time without support is more damning than almost than letting me ride out the degree. At least at the end, I got a degree and I feel like I'm doing something before I realize I'm trash. You know, I, so, you know, it's how do we support our black kids by letting them know this stuff earlier so that that summer job is not is being used intentionally or that you're looking specifically for scholarships because you know this is going to happen you know, you know, these things are, are working the community supports so that you can turn to me and say, hey, these kids need better violas. Those were the best violas we had in rock music. Those ones, those girls were playing. Yeah. When you're telling me they won't be successful at the audition, 
well, it's time for then their community to say, okay, we got to get you something else. And, you know, that that's the thing that I think we need to be supporting more along the way. And hopefully that's what, you know, that's, that's what Stanford's thing I think we'll be getting at. Mm-hmm. So within that person gets there, they already knew it was coming and they've been saving for it and they've been working for it. So that when it does come, like, bang, I, I knew this was coming. I got to get this viola. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so kind of wrapping up, can you just uh, tell us what is your biggest goal for your students upon graduation from Rock Music? Upon graduation from Rock Music, I'm glad you said that. And so um, that they can play their instruments well enough that they can do whatever they want to musically and hopefully more focused on the self-fulfilling side and that they have learned the importance of their community and the music that happens in their community so that we build the cycle that everybody loves in Venezuela that like these the the that their community music and the music that's happening in their community is the most one of the most important things in their lives and so that we don't have to ask them to come back, that they just come back and they start to self-perpetuate rock music so that it's not me and other people who are driving the boat and making this thing run, that the community says, this is what we want and we want it now and we're going to help you make it happen because we want it to happen. And so that our, our children grow up in that system and they become the best players that they can be and they go and do whatever they want to, but they're also coming back and they're, they're playing and, and giving back, whether it be money, however, giving back, let's use that term. That, that they have that understanding and that they have, that we've instilled that and I hate instilled that they have somehow taken that to heart and act on it when, they, when they're done, you know, when they get done with 12th grade. Okay, um, final question. Which, of, which one of these aforementioned areas have you found most impactful in your work with young students? And the aforementioned areas are because <laughs> I understand that there was aforementioned, but we've aforementioned a lot of stuff. Yeah. So kind of kind of zooming out of the like the areas that we that we talked about, um, specifically from the matrix, the behavioral aspect, the technical, um, the the logistical and financial um, aspect. Um, the organizational support and the talent identification and opportunities, all of those different. Okay, yeah. I, I see. And so the, which one do I think is most important or which one is more impactful on our students? Which have you found to be most impactful? I think since I would say that our organization is young because our student base is young, that the, the technique development um, and the behavior organization how do you fit inside an ensemble how do you take care of your instrument you know how do you be a a a a budding musician i think is really important and now that we really start to solidify what those things are and create benchmarks and demands on the students that they're able to rise to that and see success which is starting to lend to people wanting to do this more and so that's helping our retention because now there's a reason and there's a next level and there's something else for me to get out of this um and i think 
you know, this this talent location is something that's great as well to say that, you know, through our dance electives, you're an amazing dancer and you really seem to, you seem to love this more than, than rock music or playing your instrument per se, let's say, can we get you into some dance programs that is just as thorough as what we're doing? Or you're a visual artist, how can we use that talent here in rock music so that they feel welcomed as who they are? You know, and so I think we have to be identifying those things, seeing what they're doing and recognizing that. Um, as well. So those are the three things that I think are most important to us right now. Well, period. Thanks for talking to us. Dr. Paul. But you Thank said, you. you know what? No, nah, that's okay. We're moving on. <laughs> Man. You know, that's the that's the word in Memphis. Man is spelled M-A-N-E. Man. Man and junk. I've been I've taken that and added that into my vocabulary. I good love that word. Not good for me. <laughs> you want to uh, drop the website for rock music? People want to donate or whatever? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, please. You know, jump on our website and our Facebook. Now it's rock. And it's not ROC, folks, because we live in Rochester. Nobody outside of Rochester understands. So it's, it's www.rockrocmusic, spelled the right way, dot org. O-R-G. Please check us out. Uh, we're Rock Music Kids on Facebook and on Instagram. We try to keep our stuff out there. We always try to get Miss Brown to do a video for Instagram, and she don't, don't want to do that. Okay, wait, not... <laughs> no. We're going to get just... her on TikTok as well, but uh, please, you know, because all our funds go directly to the, to the teaching of the students. Because we have an infrastructure here in Rochester where there's a lot of instruments new, like we can get hold of those things. We, we have, the city is providing spaces. Our money goes directly to the teaching staff. And we want to pay them well because we want to keep people like Delaney Harris and Katie Brown involved in our program. So we got to pay them well because we think that representation matters and we know that it does. We pay them well enough to be around. So that, that's what we are lucky enough to have to do with our fund. We don't have to do those other things that some organizations do. So please, rockmusic.org. Check us out. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll link put it that. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dr. Hall. And Thank you. We are moving on. All right, y'all, time for Black Excellence, where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props because there's room for everyone at the top. This week, I'm talking about Jocelyn Covington. Now, to keep it a book, I don't know. I couldn't find anything on her. But let me tell you why I, I found out about her. So she is um, a middle school um, choir teacher in somewhere, somewhere in the South. That's I literally tried. I scoured. I couldn't. But the reason why I want to make her Black Excellence is, one, we have a large reach. So I'm hoping someone can find her. I'm hoping. Well, I can. I will tag her. When I, when I post a Black Excellence, I will tag her on um what's call it on ig um because i i was able to find that but or and i'll tag her yeah, yeah i'll tag her on ig um but the reason why i want to make her black excellence is because this is what really good teaching looks like to me so i was on tiktok ignoring my responsibilities and i came across a video that i'm gonna play it's tiktok so it's only like um what is it 59 seconds or whatever um of her middle school chorus singing real love and i love this because like i feel like a lot of people miss the mark um when they talk about like culturally responsive teaching and da 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 and it's like um this is what it looks like 
most of most of the kids in this in this video are black of course i obviously the reason why i couldn't find much information on her is because it's kids right she's not gonna te- she's not gonna say the name of the school she's not gonna whatever um and also these kids sound freaking good and it's like so not only is it culture responsive teaching to me it's also the fact that you were able to make middle schoolers sound like this and you took a song and you expanded it harmonically so you can get four voices and they sound maybe three you know i know um they sound freaking good so i'm gonna I'm play it. it's only it's only a minute y'all so just listen to it <laughs> these kids and and with masks on like they are i couldn't imagine i don't understand how these kids i just remember my days in middle school and it's like i would not want to wear a mask all day you gotta you gotta do too much in middle school moving from class to class first floor to third floor nah that wouldn't work for me but they're singing with masks on time masker (laughs) girl when i took that i took my doom dracker today i was cracking up the whole time i was like (laughs) The part of that video is funny to me is the wow I didn't realize you guys were anti-facts. I'm gonna link that video so people can watch it. Oh yeah. Delaney, the way Delaney and I only call the vaccines Dumbreka now is so dumb. <laughs> like, I texted her, I went today and I texted her and I was like, got my uh vaccine. My eyesight's really blurry, so that means it's working. I was like, just stop convulsing. It was only ten minutes though. Um, so yeah, link it so they don't yeah so they're like what are they talking about is it like comedy comedy sketch but also funded by the cdc was interesting to me but whatever funded by the cdc at the end of the video was interesting to me oh what do you mean like you wouldn't think you would think it would be a parody (coughs) it is but like you would think that like they would make a different logo or like no i mean that i think it's weird that like because the premise of the video is that this dude took a vaccine, right? And, like, it went wrong for him. But, like, but the CDC's paying for it. It's almost like, don't you want people not to be afraid of it? But, obviously, like, you got to be real slow to be, <laughs> like, I'm not going to the vaccine now because he fell on the floor. But I just thought it was interesting. What do you mean? What do you mean? I think it's weird that <laughs> that they are... That they're, this guy is falling on the floor for taking a vaccine and it's paid for by the CDC. That wasn't serious. I know it was a joke. I'm just saying. I thought it would... Some people take stuff not as a joke. No, I'm talking about the funded by the CDC part. Uh, you thought the <laughs> CDC actually funded that's that? Like, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a part of the joke. That's why I thought it was like, this is how you want to get people to take the vaccine? I was... They would never do 
That's why I was so. Co- <laughs> I was like, what are you confused about? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was like, that is an interesting way. That was no, that's a part of the joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we both confused. The, we're both confused with the same thing for opposite reasons. But yes, anyway. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? You don't think it's weird that they have people convulsing and then take the vaccine? That's not weird to you? <laughs> Especially because of the Johnson & Johnson part. They can't say that. Oh. <laughs> and also, like, you know, I, I barely looked at the end of the video. You know, I can't really finish all the way through. But um, anyway, shout out to Jocelyn. Thank you for teaching our baby. <laughs> um... Okay, what piece of the week? Yep. Uh-uh. Um, <laughs> my piece this week is a violin duo number three in A Major by Chevalier de Saint George. I was like, it's low key. For real? He was, yeah, he was low key writing. He got a bad rap. I feel like people heard like three of his pieces and they were like, he's trash. Really? Yeah, people like to say that a lot. Actually, you know what? Only one person. And if you think, if you look at me real close. And we make eye contact. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You do. Wait. Same person with Miss Taylor. Mm. Yeah, that's who. But I was thinking somebody else too. Who? <laughs> um. You gotta tell me after. Who? But yeah. But yeah. Um. Sorry, I'm not looking at you. So, cause you know my computer. Yeah. But um. Yeah. No, it was cool. I'm like, listen, here, I'm got listen. Come on. Put me on. Harmony. Yeah. Okay, that second part not too high. It was my could put something together with somebody. I don't go I don't go past seventh position unprovoked. So Okay. Not unprovoked. <laughs> like <laughs> it's no it's no point. I got all this C, all this G string all down here. Okay. <laughs> There's no reason for it. It's all of this down here. What's the point? What was I raising? Okay. <laughs> well, this was a doozy. Anyway, thank you for listening to Classically Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classically Black Podcast. Here's a piece of week suggestion, a black excellence suggestion, or a new host suggestion. Send it to my personal email. Just DM me because I really like. I just can't tell y'all. Like I just. Okay. I just. <laughs> nah. If anybody, nah. Nah, Delaney. 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 If anybody just uh, <laughs> it should be me. Delaney. Nah, I'm gonna tell all one day. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be right there in front of Oprah. Mm-hmm. Classically Black Podcast at gmail.com, classicallyblackpodcast.com, ISBM, join it if you're black. ISBlackmusicians.com at ISBlackmusicians. It's free. Like what the heck? We had that brunch and everything. Where were you? Not at the brunch. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's where you was. Where was you at? What playing Beethoven and golfed in whiteness? Join okay, us. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Bye, y'all. <laughs>